Chuck Moraz, along with my fine co-host, Barnett. Hello, Chuck. Oh, hello. And I think uh, you've been on the radio, what, 38 years, Chuck? 39? It, it seems like 380 sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, between the two of us, I think the audience should know that we have a combined experience of 38 years. That's right. Yeah, kind of <laughs> new to this. Which but... basically Drew was saying that I'm expected to carry this show. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It makes it easier for me. I just got to show up. Well, for people just tuning in, like us, because this is our first show, uh, our show we plan to make it simple. That's because both of us are pretty simple. Drew and I will be taking deep dives into the innermost workings of our twisted psyches to examine <laughs> usually well, pretty important topics anyway, involving sports and pop culture. Hopefully we'll be able to come out of there without getting a deep case of the bends or without leaving a lot of people behind our valued listeners uh, and maybe leaving our listeners in an utter state of either anger, confusion, or possibly frustration, or in a situation where they try to hunt us down. Or I want to say maybe we should start using assumed names, but I guess it's too late for that. Yeah, I guess it is. We should have thought <laughs> of that sooner. We should have Now, <laughs> Drew, we already have some controversy to deal with on our very first show. Yeah, yeah I mean, which is kind of setting the tone, I think, for the whole. Well, yeah, business. I mean, this is going to be uh, this is going to be something that will be thought provoking, um, you know. But we were talking about finding music for the show. You and I had kind yeah. of a mini meeting over the phone about that, and I was kind of hunting through the internet. And because we're both pretty damn cheap, you know, I was looking for copyright free music, something right, that we yeah. could get inexpensively for the show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hit on one that was pretty good because I played it for you over the phone. I know you liked it. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was kind of, it had that funk to it. I mean, it had yeah, it, it kind of like what we're using now and not mm -hmm. a little bit different, but the cost on that one, I couldn't really determine from the maker of that thing. I think it was either $42 or $76. And because right. our funds are limited, we both decided in uh, a unanimous fashion that that was probably a little bit more than what we wanted to spend. So then we yeah. found what we're using now for about 20 bucks, which, right. you know, it's a good buy, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So it came down to like, do we want to spend $42 and get it legally or do we want to not spend it and perhaps end up in court or do we just find another piece of music? We just found another piece of music. Well, exactly. And the thing is with the fact of the matter of spending 42 or $76, we have no idea how long this show will run. So, yeah. So that I mean, this be might be the only episode yeah. of our limited funds. Right. Now, yeah. And you mentioned to me about this music, and I, I, I want you to tell people how you described it. It was 70s porn music. All it right. Like, now, that, first of that all, that is perfect. Well, <laughs> but yes. But the thing about it is, how you knew that is one question. <laughs> And why you like it is the other question. <laughs> well, I like it because it's 70s porn music. I'm not sure how to answer the first question. Uh, um, you know, it, it, the thing is, I've never been over to Drew's place to look through his uh, extensive video collection, and now I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> right. Uh, no, th th those funds are limited. But, like, to be honest, it's just, like, what I, – I wouldn't be able to say for sure, but if you ask me to describe – what the music in 70s porn sounds like with the big stashes and back in the day, I would have said this is what it sounds like, the bomb chicka wom wom type of beat it had going. It just seemed both 70s and pornographic. Well, it, so it makes me want to put on the old bell bottoms and the platform shoes, which I, I yeah. want to say I, 
I, I rarely wore one and never wore the secondary one. I never wore <laughs> yeah. the platform shoes. When you're six foot three, you really don't need to be standing on stilts. And, yeah. you know, with my fear of heights, I get a nosebleed when I go up on a step ladder. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I only, don't. yeah, I only experienced about four months of the seventies and I don't really remember it. I was very young. Yeah. Well, I, I experienced the whole deal. And let me just say this, you missed uh, a lot of bad clothing, <laughs> bad sports uniforms, uh, right. some really bad music at times. Uh, yeah. Now, there was some great classic rock that came out of the 70s. Yeah. But then you got into the disco era, which I have to admit I did like in some ways because uh, on my college campus, when you went downtown to the disco downtown, all the right. girls were dressed up to the nines, and it was a pretty fantastic scene, to be quite Yeah. I, it had its turmoil, but like I think in the mid-70s, especially if you like music, you had all of the bands that came out of the 70s, the stadium rock, the American rock, which I still love listening to today. But the bands from the 60s and 50s were still around. Elvis was still playing. The Beatles had broken up, but like you could still see Paul McCartney. I mean, so it seemed like that was sort of the golden age, and rock was entering stadiums for the first time. You didn't have to go to these theaters to see it anymore so and it was cheap to go i mean they had yeah. like the world series of rock at comiskey park in chicago and it was like five bucks to see some of the biggest bands in the in the world yeah uh, I, mean, I mean it was incredible but yeah it was it was kind of a good time in a lot of ways i mean coming out of vietnam i think a lot of people decided that uh you know they were tired and they were worn out and it was just sort of like let's focus on me type of thing and it was kind of a narcissistic time at the yeah. same time which led into a very narcissistic decade of the 80s <laughs> right you yeah. know I mean it just intensified I think and when these people had kids well and all bets are off you know that kind of deal yeah we, we got a couple of topics on the show tonight a couple of real topics besides our theme music and uh, we're going to start <laughs> with sports and you and I've kind of prepped for this a little bit um, the college football playoffs and we're not talking about uh, division D3. one double a or if you want to yeah. call it FCS we're talking about FBS football bowl yeah. teams like that. And there are only four teams in it. And this was kind of a controversy from the get-go because it took a long time to develop this system. I think the first games were in 2015. Mm -hmm. And today they still involve only four teams. Right. And the biggest hang-up was how to involve the bowl system. Yeah. So if you were looking – I mean, just looking at the FBS or – Major college football, we'll refer to it as that since people, you know, so everybody understands. If you were starting a league from scratch and it was as vast as what major college football is, I think there's 125 teams now uh, that, that play in 10 conferences, you would never, ever, ever today uh, set up the type of postseason that exists today where it's bowls that are exclusive to certain conferences and a playoff that you that no one actually qualifies for, but that you're invited to by something that Condoleezza Rice is on. I, I, I mean, it is so outrageous that um, the setup that we have, and we've we're so used to it that actually putting together a format that is practical and that you know the concept of that literally every other sport in the world, including every other level of football and college football uses um, it, to put something like that together, people would be like, well, that's too radical of a change. I, I really think that this has warped our sense of what is practical. 
I understand the bowl system a, a lot. Like if you look at the history, the, the first bowl game ever was actually played between a rugby team and a football team, and they stopped it at halftime. It was such a blowout. It was the Rose Bowl. <laughs> But they were exhibition football games after the season was over, after the final polls were in, over the New Year's holiday. And the whole idea was to promote tourism, like these teams that you've been reading about in the newspapers or later on listening to on the radio. Here's a chance to come down while you're on vacation and see them play in this big exhibition game in a free stadium. So it wasn't – that was basically how it started. And now I think, what do we have, like 42 of them? I, yeah, there's way too there's way too many. I think most people do agree with that, but they are yeah. money makers for most of the bowls. I think that are being held. The biggest yeah. hangup with the bowls is that they didn't want to be considered the lower bowls that really didn't matter, and that's why they say you know at that at one point they kind of had this idea that they were all equal, and then by using the bowls as part of the playoff system, some bowls would not really be a part of that, and they would be looked at as lesser games. And that was the hang-up initially. And then they said, well, we're going to rotate that around. You know, one of the big reasons why they went to this playoff system, because before 2015, they were using some kind of convoluted rating system and ranking system to determine who the national football champion was. And there was a lot of controversy at times. You know, most of the time, I think they did get it right in terms of determining who the best team was. But at the same time, you would have years where you'd have maybe – well, two to four teams claiming that they really were the best team in college football, and they got robbed. Right, and so what it was supposed to do was to was to well, it was supposed to do a lot of things. They wanted the top two teams to meet in a single championship game based on these rankings. So it wasn't so much a playoff as it was an invitation of the top two teams. But they they could never get the formula right. And sometimes when you're using a computer-based formula. There were rankings too, but it was a computer-based. You need more data points than just the 11 or 12 games that football teams play. You know, basketball, they play upwards of 30. College baseball, they play 60. I mean, when you look at computer metrics throughout college sports, it's it works better the more games you play. Uh, my favorite was the year, I want to say it was Miami, a, beat a team in the top 10, which knocked them out of the top 10 which sunk Miami's ranking down the third and somebody else went ahead of them, Um, (laughs) you know, which led to them adjusting the uh, poll. It's like, well, would they have been better off losing the game? Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess you could say it wouldn't have mattered at that point because they lost their ranking anyway, one way or another, they had nothing to gain by playing that game. So really essentially they shouldn't have played it. If you don't put together a schedule with that idea, they won. Yeah, but, You know, you, you look at the history of the college football playoffs and Alabama has won it three times in seven years. Uh, Clemson has won it twice. They've been in it six of seven years. I think Alabama has been in it every year but one. Ohio State's been in it four times, won it once. Oklahoma five times, never won it. Yeah, uh, LSU has won it once. But, uh, you know, you're, you're basically almost looking a lot of times at the same teams year in and year out. And that's where people are starting to get a little bit feisty about the whole thing because they'd like to see other teams but the fact is really these probably are the best teams in college football this year with the COVID-19 situation and people not playing complete schedules it was a little bit more difficult I think to choose 
And a lot of people felt like Ohio State because it really only had played six games, including the Big Ten Championship. Right. May not really have deserved to be there. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's this impossible argument when there's no qualification. And when you look at, we'll use the NCAA basketball tournament, because I know everybody listening is probably familiar with that. There is a committee. Teams are selected by the committee, but half of the field, or roughly half, 32 of the 68 teams, qualify to be there without an invitation. In college football, that is not there. So, like, if you win your conference if you go undefeated, you're not necessarily getting into the playoff. And that just drives me nuts that not everybody – the the format is set up to systematically exclude half of the teams. Now, to be fair, the chances of the half of the teams that never get into the playoff actually win it – actually winning it if they were into the playoff is very small. But it's a playoff. Play them off. Don't just leave them out. And it's the only college sport that does it. It's the only sport in the world that basically has a leave-off rather than a playoff. So that's frustrating. And the other thing is I think it sets apart this keeping up with the Joneses that unless you are an Alabama, a Clemson, an LSU, somebody like that, you're not going to get to play in the playoff just because, you know, they're winning the arms race because the other schools have nothing to sell them as far as getting into it. You also have a situation. There was controversy about Notre Dame getting in at ten and, you know, ten and one. Uh, and, right. Yeah. And, and a lot of people felt like that they weren't good enough, but that they had beaten Clemson, who you know obviously is a great team, was ranked I think number one when they beat them. But right. look at this. I was looking at this uh, the AP rankings and the teams that did not get invited to the four team playoff: Texas A and M nine and one, Oklahoma nine and two, Georgia eight and two, Cincinnati nine and one. And you've got Liberty at 10 and 1. BYU ranked 11th, was 11 and 1, didn't get an invite. Louisiana, 10 and 1. Coastal Carolina, 11 and 1. And you also had toward the bottom of the rankings with just one loss Buffalo, San Jose State, Ball State, and Southern Cal. And a lot of people would say, well, none of those people could really compete with the top four that were in the playoff, but we don't know because they didn't have a chance to be in a playoff to find out. Right. And you're exactly right. I mean, if they're going to lose, then let them lose on the field. Don't just leave them out on an assumption. And we're not talking about some ginormous field like what we have in most college sports. You're talking about 16 teams. That would include 10 conference champions. That means 10 teams can qualify. Everybody in a conference has a chance to qualify, which is everybody minus Notre Dame and BYU, and I want to say New Mexico State and Liberty. Did I get all the Indies? I don't know. I think, I think you did. Yeah. So, like, that gives everyone a path to it, and you're talking about four rounds over four weekends over roughly a three-week span that – could easily be done in the timetable that the bowls already take place. If you talk about starting in the middle of December and going on to the first Saturday or Monday in January, whenever you wanted to do it, it it just seems to me that field of 16 would give you 15 games where probably 12 or 13 of them would be great games to watch. All right. Now the question is how many teams do you put in this FBS playoff system obviously you and I both agree that there needs to be more than four so is the sweet spot on this eight 16 or what in your opinion 
In my opinion, it would be 16, and the format would be, you know, the 10 conference champions and six at-larges based on a committee, a ranking system, whatever you want to do. Um, and that isn't really an innovative idea. It is literally what every other college sport does, <laughs> you know, inviting all the conference champions, including the lower divisions of college football. So I think it would be 16. You would get a couple of ridiculous games like Alabama, Louisiana, but you see those games early in the season anyway, and no one seems to be bothered by it then. And if Louisiana wins the Sun Belt, why not let them play against somebody highly? And what if they score a huge upset? What a story that would be. Oh, what a huge story that would be. I mean, it would be a fun story. Yeah. So we're missing out on possibly some really entertaining football by going with just a four-team playoff. Now, there's always going to be controversy in this stuff because when you talk about your six large bids, there's always going to be somebody who said, we should have been in it. And there's always going to be someone who's going to say, well, they shouldn't have been in it. Right. There's no fixing that. I mean, in college sports, unless there's like the NFL or the MLB where all of the, you know, postseason members qualify to be there, whenever there's at large bids or a committee that picks teams, you're always going to have controversy over who they pick. But if you're talking about picking six in addition to 10 conference champions, leaving out teams that could have that first of all had a pass to get there had they won their conference and secondly whether they should have gotten in or not could have done more than what they did to look the, to make themselves look more favorable it would l- eliminate a situation like what we had with Cincinnati this year who literally won all their games and were told sorry yeah well and one last point on this particular issue and you and I are both uh, very familiar with college athletics talk continues that the FBS schools, the large schools, could break away from the NCAA to form their own association. And I think if that does happen, you are going to see at least a 16-team tournament right. for FBS football. You, you are going to see it. Uh, yeah. It's going to be tough for the quote-unquote mid-majors because these are the schools that control a great deal of college athletics in terms of revenue right and you know maybe we'll see that maybe we won't we've been hearing that for about 25 years I I don't know if that collection of university presidents is actually interested some of that might just be fan fodder or media fodder I I don't want to dismiss it and say that it can't happen but I guess I got so used to worrying about it that I just quit worrying about it (laughs) well yeah it's like beating your head against the wall it feels so good when you stop yeah, so it really does, and that's, right. that's the, really the best point about that is that if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't yeah. happen, it's not any worse off than what we are now. So yeah. I, I think it, I think it could only it, it if could get, because the college presidents. I think some of the the issue is we don't like having to share all this money, and it comes back to the NCAA basketball tournament. All this right. money with these mid majors who don't produce the type of revenue that we do. Right. And, and you're right about that. And I think like whenever that gets brought up, there, there are a couple reasons why it gets shot down pretty quickly. These teams in football like to play seven and eight home games and you can't play seven and eight home games against each other. Like you need to schedule the lower divisions to do that. And they like playing Kentucky, Louisville, 
Duke, North Carolina, whatever your power basketball, they like playing 18 to 19 home basketball games. And if ever, if you break away from the smaller schools, you're not going to get people to come to your place unless you go back to theirs. So they're like, well, fewer home games, that's, that, that's less revenue. And mm-hmm. it's less TV rights with the conferences that we have now. So I think when they do the math, um, even though they are sharing a lot of revenue, they're also making a lot more on top of that than they, than they might make if they broke away. And the, the one thing you mentioned about the NCAA tournament revenue sharing, does it have the same appeal if it's just the major conference teams and not like Gonzaga and, you know, Absolutely these, not. You, yeah. have, you have a national appeal because you have all these small schools, these underdogs that people root for. Right. You want to yeah. see, you know, the little dog beat up on the big dog here and there. And it does happen. Yeah, just about every year there's a, a surprise, and everybody is waiting for that Easter egg to show up. And right. when it does, it makes the national news. It doesn't matter if the team oh. who's ranked first in the country is one. It's that little school that beat the big school that no one expected them to beat that yeah. is the front page story. And if you look at the the TV ratings for the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament, it's through the roof. It's as high as the NFL playoffs. It's really, I mean, everybody in the country seemingly is watching it. And I don't think they would be if it were the 10 major conferences on their own playing each other. You, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I just don't think that would have the same appeal. And I certainly don't think CBS and Turner would fork out the money that they're forking out for it now for, the, for that. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our first segment, and we're going to pause right here. We're back on halftime, and uh, Drew, I need to apologize for that sounder. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, because, uh, you know, I want to use sounders in between to indicate to people that we're going from one topic to another, but that first sounder with the air horn is pretty damn annoying and i don't think we're going to use that again yeah Um, yeah, people are changing the station if they haven't changed it already yeah they're they're, you know i mean (laughs) we're trying to build up listenership not tear what listenership we don't (laughs) right now further than what it is because right now it's two you and me. yeah right now it's two yeah Yeah. (laughs) and if one of us doesn't show up it's not going to make much of a show right yeah (laughs) all right now the second topic for tonight and this is pop culture now we're talking about english tv shows which I've started to grow a real affinity for. I don't know why. It, it, it started during the COVID lockdown when there wasn't much to do and everybody was binging on shows. And I'm looking through Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and I'm thinking, you know, we need something to watch. And I started to hit on some of this stuff. And for whatever reason, I like it. Yeah, I, I always have too. And there's, I, I think that's another thing, like you said, with a lot of the streaming services, a lot of what's on over there is more and more available over here. And you have the classics that made their way over here, like the Black Adder, uh, Faulty Towers, Monty Python, uh, Keeping Up Appearances, the, those type of programs. And, and, and I, I, I'm more familiar with the classics than I am what's big over there now, but God, it, it is hilarious. And I think the difference is, I mean, there's a lot of similarities. The comedy in Britain, the sitcoms are more that. It's more situational comedy than what your American sitcoms are to where, you you know, I I know the the phrase that you and I like to use is the dick and fart jokes. The the shows in in Europe and in in Britain in particular are more situational, almost more sort of Laurel and Hardy-ish 
not in the sense that they have characters like that, but the situations that people get themselves in are are just situationally hilarious. Like, it's, I, mean, it's, I think it's sometimes a, a smarter brand of comedy. Yeah. Now, there are some great shows in, in the U.S. I'm, I'll never knock my home country and some of the great TV I've seen. In particular, yeah. I think about, for instance, going back, MASH. Uh, yeah. Seinfeld is, is a big favorite of mine. The Office is another big favorite. Parks and Rec. I mean, yeah. those those are smart comedies. Oh, those are great. Yeah, and and, and we certainly have our share, our share of really good shows. Seinfeld. I mean, to this day, it cracks me up. I've oh yeah, I'll turn it on. You know, times. it's on reruns, and I, I like to check it out every now and yeah. then. I watched a few here the other day. Uh, you know, I like The King of Queens a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's a little simpler humor, and it does get into some of the like you said, some of the bathroom type humor here and there. But yeah. it also is. There's a lot of uh, situational comedy. There's yeah. a lot of visual type stuff that has to be seen to be understood. And I like it, but I'm going to run down some of the programs. Now I actually started and I have to give my wife Joni credit for this. She got me started on Downton Abbey, mm -hmm. which I wasn't really sure about at the start. I have to admit that when she mentioned it, I kind of put it off and put it off. And then, Finally, it, it, we, I sort of ran out of excuses, so to speak. I said, all right, let's give it a shot and see how it flies. And I watched the first one, and quite frankly, I couldn't understand half of what the hell they were saying. <laughs> right, yeah. You, know, you almost like, need to watch like, it with the subtitles I thought you said on. this thing was in English. No, it's not an American. It's in English. <laughs> right, yeah. But it was really something that I watched the first one. I said, all right, we'll watch the second one. I'll give it a chance not doing much else anyway, watch the second one is a little bit better. And then the third one, because there's so many different storylines that are taking place right. during that particular program that by the third and fourth one, I was like, well, we got to watch all the rest of them. Then. Yeah. And it hooks you. That one in particular had a soap opera effect because it was, I mean, again, not a comedy. We started all talking about comedies, but it was just the way one episode fed into another fed into another, it just kind of left you hanging like, Oh, what's going to happen next? Exactly. And I, I think that I like history. I really do. I've always enjoyed history and it, it takes you back to the Edwardian time in England. And you basically have an upper class, which is made up of people who have some sort of connection to royalty in essence. And then you have the working class people and there's a bigger separation back then than there is today. Um, and it, it highlights that, but at the same time, the two are connected so closely. And it's, it's not like one group hates the other group, although there is a little bit of that in some right. respects. But at the same time, I, I love the stories. And this, the way it was written, I mean, the way the stories wove themselves in and out of each other was fascinating to watch because you could follow several different storylines at one time. And it was a very intelligent show to watch and very entertaining. And the dialogue was great. And there was a lot of comedy that went along with that subtle yeah. comedy, but there was comedy. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, call the midwife. An another show that's I I've, I've only seen select. I haven't seen the whole catalog of it, but it is sort of in that same format. It's set in a historical time period of like early 20th century. And it, again, it's, you know, one show feeds into the next feeds into the next. Well, there are the other ones I'm going to mention that right now that I've watched are Doc Martin with Martin Clunas. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. He's a big time actor over on the Island, of course, but uh, law and order UK 
McCallum is something I've watched. He's a forensic investigator, basically a medical examiner. And then Manhunt, which is a detective show with Martin Clunas. So the one thing I've noticed, at least the offerings that they, they send us, they really seem to enjoy their mysteries and their detective shows. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, 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 and they're very good. Uh, McCallum is basically kind of like a detective show, to be quite frank with you. But right. uh, it, it's interesting to see Martin Clunas and Doc Martin, for those people who've not watched, you can see it on PBS. Yeah. It's, it's a really good show. And I mean, uh, that's one that was recommended to us. And we started watching it. And he's basically a, a guy who was a very highly respected and well-known surgeon. He was at the top of his field as a surgeon. But then he develops a blood phobia. And he has to be kicked back into becoming what they call a general practitioner, which in Britain, they've got socialized medicine. So the government moves him to a small town in a very remote area, a seaside village that's tiny. And this is a guy who's got absolutely no personality or bedside manner whatsoever. He's yeah. very short and blunt, but he's, a, he's an amazing doctor. But at the same time, uh, the way he deals with people, uh, if, if most of us dealt that way with people, we'd be going to the dentist quite often to get our teeth <laughs> rearranged. Yeah. Because this guy is just quite rude at times. But it's hilarious the way he does it. It really yeah. is. And, and he, he's generally right about the things he says. It's just the way he says them. And uh, in Manhunt, He's a DCI, which in English terms, that is a detective chief investigator who leads a detective unit. And uh, he's very good in that. It's kind of weird to see him in one role than the other role. But yeah. he's, he's a top flight actor all the way around. I really enjoy that stuff. And you get to learn some different terminologies. Um, McCallum, as I said, is about a guy who's a forensic investigator. And I like those types of shows anyway. So I thought that was pretty good. Law and Order UK is, if you watch the Law and Order series here in America, um, you almost have to watch that one because there's so many different ones here right. that I'm familiar with. I've watched them all that yeah. I had to see this one because obviously their court system is different. Everybody looks like Martha Washington in the courtroom because they all have to wear those powdered white wigs. Yeah, the wigs. And uh, their, their law enforcement is done a little bit differently. Uh, there's not as many uh, incidents with firearms because they don't use firearms as much over there, but there is a little bit of that. Uh, it's different to watch them do their investigations and how they do them, but it's pretty pretty entertaining all the way around. It is, yeah, Law & Order UK, I haven't seen that many episodes of it. As far as the one that's on over here, it's on right now on television. You can find it. I don't know where you're listening to this or what day of the week you're listening to this or whether it's 10 years into the future. Law and order is on right now. It's yeah, on 24 somewhere. hours a day. <laughs> somewhere. Either the original law and order, uh, yeah. law and order, special victims unit, law and order, criminal intent. It, mm. You can find it somewhere. And I, I, yeah. I like them all. Actually, I like them all. And I think the original law and order is still in my book the best, but it's not on the air live anymore there's been talk though about bringing it back yeah i don't know if they could bring it but we're getting off of the british for but like yeah. you almost they could bring back that that certainly that format and create a lot of good episodes but like you felt like you knew the the characters too well like 
you, you know, Lenny Briscoe and Jack McCoy. And it's just, would it be law and order without them? And one of the reasons I think it kind of faded away was by the end of the show, nobody that was on it, um, either when it first started or either when it had its classic lineup was left anymore. I think if you did bring it back, you would have to get a large, well-known star to take on one of the key roles. Yeah. Perhaps the district attorney. Yeah, probably um, so. Because that would draw people in just to see how that person was handling that role. But I yeah. think that would draw people back in. But I still think that there is a market for it. Special yeah. Victims Unit has been on, what, about 20 years now or more? Five, I, years, maybe. Like the original series was on for 20 years. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, still out there, and it's still on NBC, and it's yeah. still a good show. And they've gone through some various characters. Mm. Uh, Mariska Hargitay is still now the main character in that show, and everything kind of revolves around her. Yeah. And I think she's a, a great draw, and she's a great actress. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I think the show, even though it's gone through some different detectives, is still very entertaining to watch and, and still right. very smart. Yeah, along those lines, comparing that to some another show that came to mind, and this this was an older one, so like I think it aired in the '80s over in Britain, Rumpole of the Bailey. I didn't was, see that. Yeah. Now, one of the these were these were like just engaging, fun shows to watch. Like it, it was, it wasn't. A, it was a serial, but not the way that Downton Abbey was. Like one show didn't feed into the other, into the next. Each show kind of stood on its own. But you got to know the characters, particularly him and some of the judges and some of the people he worked with and his wife. And you kind of felt like you knew these people. Like a, as you watched it more and more, you kind of became, it, it felt like you knew them. And I think that's another staple of the really good British shows is the characters for whatever reason are relatable or you, when I say Rompol, if you watch the show, certain characteristics immediately come to mind. Well, if you watch Doc Martin, the Martin Clunas character, yeah. um, <laughs> if, you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're able to relate to that guy, you probably need some psychological <laughs> yeah. help. I mean, uh, if he reminds you of anybody, you know, you might want to distance yourself uh, from well, that person, I mean, but like, done so quite frankly, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. He's not the most popular guy in that small little fishing village, <laughs> right, yeah. but at the same time, he's entertaining. Actually, yeah, they're in the process, and I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be released, of making the final season of Doc Martin. I think it goes a total of 10 seasons. Yeah. Downton Abbey has run its course. I think it finished up the series itself in 2015, yeah. and, and they've made, they just made a movie that was out last year that was pretty good. Some people say, yeah. like the show, well, that's kind of what people wanted. And now I understand they're in the process of making another movie because oh they are oh, okay yeah, they are people are yeah. still so very fond of that particular show yeah and uh, they well they see a, a financial vehicle there that they can drive yeah Downton Abbey I think they've tried to put the bow on it but people keep demanding more and more so it, it's sort of like uh, Sherlock Holmes the author I'm blanking on it oh my god I've read well like he tried to kill Sherlock Holmes several times and did but he had to keep bringing him back because it was so popular Downton Abbey is reaching that level like they wrapped up the show and then they made a movie and I, I don't know if he'll ever be able to do anything else <laughs> well the one thing you want to do is if you're going to watch some of these British TV shows is first of all turn the subtitles on on your TV yeah. because you will not be able to understand a lot of times what they're saying 
because they speak very quickly and of course their accents are a lot different from ours. The second thing you wanna do is keep your cell phone handy and have it set on Google uh, on the web so that you could look up some of the terminologies that they're using. For instance, in Doc Martin, to insult somebody, they call him a tosser. I had no idea what that meant. It's basically calling him an idiot. Yeah, that could mean a lot of things. Yeah, there's there's a couple other versions of that that you know I realize that there might be younger people listening, and I'm very sensitive. Right. To that. Yeah, uh, you know, relating back to what we started with our music. Right. Exactly. So, but basically, it comes out as idiot. So you yeah. want to keep that cell phone handy so that if you hear some terminology or whatever that you don't understand, you can look it up. It's kind of like I had to look up when they called. Martin Clunas and Manhunt, they called them DCI. I can't remember the last name on the show that he used. I was like, what's a DCI? But then I found yeah. out it's Detective Chief Investigator. Right. And somebody else was a DS. Well, a DS is a Detective Sergeant. But, you know, here it's a little bit different. So, I mean, it's different. It's kind of fun to learn those things and just see how different things are done in different places. And it's it's different TV. And it's, as I said, it's it's a smarter TV. And if you're looking for murder mysteries of any kind you can certainly find them you know through these british tv shows because they do oodles of them i mean they do right. dozens of them it seems like so anyway but that's fun i mean i i recommend it i think you do too oh yeah for sure all right it's better than our tv our, yeah, our tv think, is 500 channels of mostly nothing well yeah i mean uh yeah there are a lot of channels on my <laughs> yeah. satellite system that we have at the house that there's a there's stuff that I don't really watch very often. There is BBC TV. Yeah, BBC America. Yeah. yeah, BBC America. Yeah, on uh, my direct TV system. And occasionally, if I see something on there, I'll watch it. And sometimes they do show, well, a lot of times they show American-based shows. Right. Yeah. They show the reruns. So, but you can always catch some of the English shows, too. And it's, it's pretty cool. Well, anyway, I think that does it, Drew. I think we've kind of beat the hell out of both topics. Yeah, I think so. Like, we actually recorded for about three and a half hours. I realize you're going to go edit that now down to hopefully there's about 20, 30 minutes of good stuff in there. Well, the great thing about podcasts is that people can listen for as long as they want. We can talk for as long as we want. Right, as yeah. As we want. But I felt like in the first segment especially, there was a lot to talk about when we were unpacking the issue of expanding the college football playoffs from four teams to whatever and why you should do that and how this all developed being what it is today. So yeah. we want to thank everybody for listening because, well, if they're still there, if they're not right, there, yeah. I'm not going to thank them, but, right, yeah. but hopefully they'll listen again. And Drew and I plan to try to do this on a weekly basis. And uh, we hope that you'll join us next time. But again, our show is halftime. I'm Chuck Mraz. He's Drew Barnett. We've had a lot of fun doing the show and we certainly hope that you've had a lot of fun listening to it.